Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. Episode 12. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And I'm stronger than yesterday. <laughs> Brittany's free. Woo! Best news of the century. I saw, well, this is going to give an exact date to the listener of when we recorded this, but I saw yesterday that Stronger re-entered the iTunes Top 50. The Kanye like, song? No, the Britney. I just, stronger than yesterday. You Whoa, just exposed me and not knowing. <laughs> Exit. Zoom. Uh, I don't know the deep cuts, sorry. Or was that a hit? I don't basically know that much. It was a hit. In your defense, it was probably decades ago, which <laughs> makes me feel real old. <laughs> I love her more as a cultural icon than I do as a musician, to be honest, which, you know, she has some bops, but she's not, she wouldn't be my first choice of what I listen to. Listener, if you're a member of Gen Z, I'm about to say a sentence that will make no sense to you. In a McDonald's Happy Meal, I got a hit clip of Britney Spears' Stronger that I then put into my hit clip player (laughs) and listen to all the time. I guess if you're a millennial, or if you're not a millennial, so if you're Gen Z, Gen X or above, this won't make sense. Yeah, but no, this makes no sense. <laughs> tweet us if you remember hit clips. It was a little cartridge, like a, a tiny little cartridge on a keychain. And then there was this little, slightly bigger, maybe the size of like two little boxes of floss next to each other. Uh-huh. And you would put the cartridge in and it had a single little earbud. And it would play like one minute of a song because that's all the memory space it had oh my god and they were like mcdonald's happy meal toys what were hit clip songs environmental nightmare and so i had stronger by britney spears and i would listen to that one minute over and over again wow that's something else deep cut those will never come back (laughs) nobody's trying to bring hit clips back the super super hipsters maybe even the people who are like bringing back cassettes Mm. i know it's like for art more so than the actual music but it's like come on you have to fast forward and guess yeah it was like a step back in technology from records (laughs) i mean i suppose they were portable that was really the only thing about them that was any kind of advancement but yeah Oh, and then when you had, like, when the machine would eat your cassette, and then you had to use a number two pencil to, like, rewind it manually. Yeah. <laughs> and then and you're too play young it. to really, like, remember eight tracks, probably, unless your family just had them around because you were a country boy. <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> eight tracks were worse because there was no fixing them. If it came out, there was no whole it was all encased so then it was just garbage like but what about when you did fix your tape but it was always a little distorted at times yeah 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was never the same again. <laughs> no, I do like streaming. I did hit this realization, though, as I was, like, going through. I still have a couple, like, booklets of CDs, if you remember those, because I had, like, this weird intermediary car for a long time where it had a CD player, no tape deck, but also no audio input. Uh-huh. So... I was a person who, like, purchased and burnt CDs way past most other people because my car didn't have, like, an audio input jack. Yeah. And so I have all these CDs, and, like, I've just sort of been storing them, and it hit me that outside of my car, which now has Bluetooth and automatically connects to Spotify, I don't even own a CD player. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you do? <laughs> with cds and they're in booklets like they don't even have cases yeah so it's like what do you do with them just hope goodwill takes it i still have my giant three ring binder of like the cd case that you can flip through that you would spend hours putting them all in alphabetical order with their with their covers and everything i still have mine it's just you know in the basement i think people make crafts out of them and i mean it's just junk because I f- I'd feel weird throwing it away, but does anyone on this planet want them? I don't think so. I think it's recycling now. There's some good ones in there. <laughs> oh, getting older. The joys. Getting wiser. Mm-hmm. Except I don't even know if that's true. I mean, in some ways, yes, yes, yes. The ability to look back, the ability to, like use your experience but on the other side of the ways in which i can't remember anything (laughs) i do feel like that is increasing and not decreasing i mean for the record you're still very young and i'm old enough that i can say that to a fellow adult you are you're a youngster still so you're older but you're still quite young yeah, but tell that to my knees every time I stand up. <laughs> yeah. I I was thinking the other day, I don't know, apropos of nothing, that it was, I don't know, I was probably thinking about reunions or something and how long I've been out of high school or college or something. And I was like, I have a full adult life since I first became an adult. Like, (laughs) that difference in time is an entire adult lifespan. (laughs) Just within that, which is the next level of of old. There's like, I'm old enough to remember blah, and then there's like, I'm old enough to be an adult, uh, to be a parent of an adult, essentially. Like, I, I have two full lifespans two full adult lifespans within my one lifespan, which is weird. (laughs) And you're not there yet. You're close. I mean, maybe like, no, I guess you are. Mississippi lifespans. It's like, I mean, I suppose if I were to have had a child, not for them to be an adult, though. I mean, a Mississippi adult. I have some cousins that, uh, (laughs) it's like, oh, you're a great grandma? Because that's crazy. Yeah, I know. Totally. Oh, yeah, for sure. I definitely have friends I went to high school with who were 
great-grandparents, I'm sure. Yeah. Different strokes for different folks. I taught my kids that phrase the other day. They were like, strokes? And I was like, I don't know where this (laughs) phrase came from. I hope it's not dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, not my path. My path is being a geriatric parent. <laughs> My path is not being a parent, but being an uncle. Being the cool uncle. I can't stand when people say gunkle what? for the gay uncle. That's new terminology to me. It's gunkle. like, y'all are gross. Why, why do this? I would think that would apply not to a literal uncle who happened to be gay, though. I would think that would be, like, your gay friends who assume the role of uncle. There's a lot of words I don't like. (laughs) Yeah, that's a weird one. How about Doggo. Yeah, doggo. I I never... Ugh, no. It's not for me. I'm just not a person who prescribes to baby talk. Like, even with my nieces and nephew, when they were babies, it was like, I'm just going to speak to you. Because <laughs> this is what human language is. <laughs> See, I do. I use baby talk with my kids even still, and they're not babies anymore. But not, I don't, yeah, I'm not down with baby talk in the adult world. <laughs> you know? Um, once in a while, I slip and say oopsie when I do something wrong at work um, with my colleagues, like, oopsie. <laughs> no, I'm with the grownups now. <laughs> oh, shit. When you're out walking on the street, you don't go, oh, look at that doggo. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever but people say. Some people do. I've just, like, alienated 90% of our listeners. <laughs> it's just me. Different strokes for different folks, people. Totes. Totes. It's just not for me. You know, sometimes words don't feel right in your mouth. Yeah, for sure. But we're not saying other people can't enjoy words. You do you, as long as it's all consensual. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I mean, I 100% agree with that. But just the way it popped into my mind of like, (laughs) I don't consent to you saying doggo. Yeah, I mean, you can choose who you want to be around and what you want to listen to. And for me, it's going to be Britney Spears on repeat. And I'm so glad that makes you happy. Can you You've got to know Toxic. Oh, okay. I know that one, yeah. That was, <laughs> was like, basically the last song of hers that I know, probably. I could I could just keep going, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Brittany. We love you. What else? We haven't recorded in a really long time, so I'm feeling kind of rusty. I don't know about you. Yeah. Just getting back into the rhythm. Mm-hmm. I've got one of those days where my voice just seems deeper than normal. <laughs> <laughs> it might just be the way I hear it in the headphones, but I just consistently keep feeling like I'm talking very deeply. <laughs> you know, when I was little, I so I had a complex when I was little. I Everybody now knows where I grew up. I grew up in southern Missouri, which is pretty conservative. Um, 
and traditional. And so I grew up in this kind of like, you know, 70s, girls are girls, sugar and spice, like, you know, be dainty, be feminine, all of that kind of stuff. And I've never been particularly feminine. I wasn't what at the time was called a tomboy because I was not athletic and still am <laughs> <I'm> not. <laughs> but I wasn't particularly naturally feminine or girly. And so I had a complex about my name because my name was not Julie or Jessica or Christy or like the popular really feminine names at the time. Mm -hmm. And... um I thought my voice was really low. In my head, my voice sounds very deep to myself, and it did even as a kid. So I went through a phase where, one, I'm saying this publicly for the first time. Not many people know this about me, but I went through a hardcore phase where I made everyone call me Kirsty, like everyone. <laughs> it was really <laughs> obnoxious, and I would correct people. Um, and I would try to make my voice artificially higher than, than it is. So I don't know what made me think of that, but um, yeah, speaking of deep voices. So when I hear, I like my voice now, but when I was a kid, I hated it. And especially when it got low. I like my voice everywhere except a voicemail message. <laughs> Meaning like the greeting or when you leave a voicemail for someone else? When you leave a voicemail, like I've had people send me voicemails. I've left them. Or if you just hear it, and it's like, oh, no. Are you one of those people who, when it says, if you want to listen to your message, press 2, and you re-listen to see how good it is? No. It's more so, like, my friends and I do, like, joke voicemails, and so they'll reminisce and be like, remember this one? And, like, forward it to me. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, God. <laughs> because, honestly, there's something some curse that's like leave your message after the beep and then my brain goes error 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 <laughs> and it's just like hey um so like i am um there's a message that i did have an important and and yeah if we could just reschedule i um uh, s give a call back me <laughs> every time I no, I've never heard you like that. Although I can't say that you've ever left me a voicemail, but <laughs> Every, it's, it's so like, much pressure. Yeah, my brain, fight or flight. I go into freeze. <laughs> and then it's like stumbling out words that are mostly coherent. I mean, I'm just one of those people, which is not like me. I do tend to ruminate on things, but I'm one of those people. I just, if I have to leave a voicemail, I just dive in and then never look back i'm like that happened that was a mess whatever bye <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise i already don't like talking on the phone so if i were to dwell on voicemail performance i would never be able to talk on the phone ever yeah it's just a thing where i freeze every single time that's not true i think it, i only freeze if it's actually important <laughs> which is worse well it's my... like how do you fit this very important message into whatever amount of time my friends and i what happens is if it goes to voicemail then it suddenly becomes an improv show <laughs> <laughs>
And I'll always remember my friend Elena. At a time in her life, she lived near a place called Goose Creek. Mm-hmm. And there was a commercial on the radio that was always like, Goose Creek. <laughs> and so then if, if it like went to a voicemail, it would just be like, Hi there, this is Jennifer from the Ghost Creek Animal Clinic. I'm just calling about your pet wasp. Um, unfortunately, your wasp did die, and we're going to need you to come on down here and sign some forms so we can burn the body up. <laughs> oh my god, that's what, that's the longest that's the longest I've heard you talk in character of of Mississippi. <laughs> so those voicemails are fun and fine but if it's like an actual one that i'm leaving for like a potential employer or a client or <laughs> then it's like what is words <laughs> how words do go out my mouth <laughs> uh, that's what makes you interesting andrew <laughs> So Avin, I just hang up. No voicemail will be left. Yeah. I mean, that's why text and email exists. So introverts can be cogent. Man, this is like the boringest banter I've ever given. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Things might clip out. Things might... uh... You're going to have to clip out a lot of this boring stuff. But you know what's not boring? What? Inciting incidents. Never. That's one of the most interesting things I think that we do is taking a little peek into people's brains and what makes them tick. Yeah, I, th- I think so. So listener, as you may or may not know, we've retooled the format. We're doing full episodes every single week instead of our alternating full episode and mini episode, which means as we get inciting incidents, we're going to... Um, you know, just sort of filtered them in with our full episode. So we got a new one, and Kirsten's going to read it to us. Yay! All right, so this one comes to us today from Caroline. Hi, Kirsten and Andrew. First of all, awesome job, you two. I love what you've done with the podcast, and it's also super fun to hear your voices slash banter again. Like everyone here, I watch and listen to read a lot of true crime or fictional crime-related things, and I'm especially into creative horror movies. But I think what really drives my interest in these topics is my love for a good mystery. Going way back to when I was just a little kid, my inciting incident comes from picking up my very first mystery novel. Every summer, my family would go camping near a small beach town, and being avid readers, we would check out all the used bookshops nearby. One summer, I found a book with a shiny yellow spine, which turned out to be the first volume in the Nancy Drew Stories series, The Secret of the Old Clock. After that first one, I was hooked. I spent every summer collecting the entire Nancy Drew series from secondhand shops. I still have them all, and yes, I do watch the new CW show because I love bad TV. (laughs) (laughs) I thought Nancy was the baddest bitch around, and she had awesome red hair, drove a convertible, and solved mysteries while everyone else was clueless. Goals! After I ran out of Nancy Drew books, I moved on to more mystery novels and shows, like my old favorite, the Canadian classic, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And my true crime love grew from there. 
if I were being deeply insightful, I would probably guess that the whole reason I got into design is because of my love of mysteries and problem solving, since so much of design work comes down to creative problem solving. Wow. Wow. That is and deep. <laughs> listeners, if you're there, give a slow clap to Caroline for also being the designer of our incredible logo. Yes. Woohoo. Woo, I guess that was a fast clap, not a slow clap, but <laughs> we already discovered that slow claps on podcasts are awkward. <laughs> I literally was like, as you were reading, I was like, I wonder if she's watching the new show. Yes. And then you said it. I know. I just saw that pop up in my, in my screen and it's on my watch list right now too. So, but it makes so much sense. I wonder if maybe watch us one day just like get PhDs in this actually instead of just joking about dissertations <laughs> but like I bet there really is a fascinating correlation between mystery scary and and not all scary like I know a lot of people who like true crime that don't like horror movies and things but like I, I think there's like a confluence of these topics and ideas that really do shape how your personality goes when you become adults yeah yeah i mean why wouldn't it every you know everything else that we learn goes into that grist mill of creating who we become um but yeah i i totally agree i think and i find it interesting how she connects the problem solving and the mysteries and that kind of part of it with other things in her life that it's not just this one interest or this kind of side thing. It's kind of fundamental to how she operates in the world, which is so interesting. But yeah, that's fascinating, especially the way these things in your young adulthood and your early development really creep in in different ways for the good and the bad. Yeah, totally. Well, that's an amazing one. Thank you, Caroline. It's so good to hear from you, too. So thinking about things that uh, I like, do not know how to tr transition to our weird episode topic today. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have a planned episode about a real crime and real pop culture. Yeah. So this week we're going to be talking about Slender Man. Slender Man. Dun dun dun. Uh, creepy, creepy Slender Man. I'm gonna kick us off. Because before we get into the crime, we first have to really understand who slash what is Slender Man? Where did he come from? And unlike most urban legends, we can trace the origins of Slender Man back to its beginning. <laughs> so he was created in 2009 on the forum site frequented by Photoshop pranksters called Something Awful Forums. And it was under a thread called Create Paranormal Images. Uh. So, one user even commented in the thread, you just know a couple of the good ones are going to eventually make it to a paranormal website and be used as genuine. Mm. So, they knew. They knew. They knew from the beginning. Well, I guess, spoiler alert, they were right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's getting ahead of myself. So, the thing that really launched Slenderman Mythos was when Eric Knudsen, under the pseudonym Victor Surge, contributed two black and white images 
of groups of children and a tall, thin, spectral figure wearing a black suit. But what made this different was Eric supplemented his submission with snatches of text, purportedly from witnesses, describing the abductions of the groups of children and giving the character the name The Slender Man. Mm. So under the first photo he created, he wrote, We didn't want to go. We didn't want to kill them. But its persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time. 1983, photographer unknown, presumed dead. Mm. So that's the text he wrote. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And under the second one, he wrote, One of two recovered photographs from the Sterling City Library blaze, notable for being taken the day which 14 children vanished for what is referred to as the Slender Man. Deformity cited as film defects by officials. Fire at library occurred one week later. Actual photograph confiscated as evidence. Mm. So, it gave it a story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like just enough, Mm -hmm. just enough story, just enough details, enough boring stuff like deformities as film defects. Like he launched Slenderman in this way mm-hmm. but soon other posters began creating a backstory that stretched to the 16th century <laughs> they made like modified woodcut images from the period that included the slender man oh my god uh over the next few months it, the mystique continued to grow so a 2011 Yahoo Answers post added more definitive details Yahoo Answers <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, what a mess. <laughs> but uh, so this post added much more so. The Slender Man is a supernatural creature that's described as appearing as a normal human being, but he's described as being eight feet tall, and he has vectors or extra appendages that are described to be as sharp as swords. The creature is known to stalk humans and cause many disappearances. He's described as a shadow creature that has a missing face. The creature fits into many mythologies and legends from nations such as Germany, the Celts, which brings up the possibility that he could be real. A man named Victor Serge found this legend and made his own version of it, which he called Slenderman. The Slenderman is not exactly evil, according to mythology, but Victor Serge's version shows him as an evil creature that stalks humans to kill. In mythology, he was actually trying to save you from a painful death by taking you to the underworld early. So all that's bullshit, though, right? Yes. Okay, okay. Just but, I mean, it's believable. We're doing yeah. an episode. I know it's bullshit, but I'm like, wait, but is that part real? <laughs> yeah, That. so I'm going to get in a little bit, well, and sort of both sides. So this next piece, but then also further when I'm talking about the culture. Okay. But yeah, it's like, you know, Photoshopped images. Eric, under the name Victor, Mm-hmm. added these bits of text this little bit of story to get it going and then more users create this like swirling mythos where now this answer is citing victor as modifying the existing legend it's like just building more and more and more yeah yeah kind of like other legends but we can track it because it all right. happened online right So uh, media scholar and folklorist, which, what a cool job, (laughs) Uh, Andrew Peck, 
another excellent Andrew. Another amazing Andrew. <laughs> uh, attributes the success of Slenderman to its highly collaborative nature. Because the character and its motives are shrouded in mystery, users can easily adapt existing Slenderman tropes and images to create new stories. So this ability for users to tap into the ideas of others while also supplying new storylines um, helps inspire this collaborative culture that arose all around Slenderman. Mm -hmm. So instead of privileging the choice of certain creators as canonical, this collaborative culture like really informally gives ownership to the entire community. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just, oh, well, Eric's was the first. This is the path. It's like everyone who touches and modifies it has equal right to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so in these respects, the Slender Man is similar to campfire stories or urban legends, and the character's success comes from enabling both social interaction and personal creative expression. So it's really interesting from that aspect of a 2010 urban legend creation mm-hmm. <laughs> that we can trace back, but people still believe is real. Right. Well, and I mean- so... It seems to have some DNA in common with memes, too, in that someone makes a good kind of base meme and then people, like, adapt and make it their own. Mm -hmm. So interesting. And then so, again, I'll talk more about folklore and the post-crime sort of culture section, but probably one of the most important pieces before you get into the crime is Slenderman, for the most part, does not directly kill his victims. Instead, he encourages others to kill in order to please him. Mm. So that'll come in with the, the yeah. crime side. Ooh. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the crime, and it's pretty famous. So I feel like a lot of people kind of know a little bit about this one. So I'm going to go into the facts of the case. And this particular incident takes place in Wisconsin. Um, On Friday, May 30th, 2014, best friends Anissa Weir, Morgan Geyser, and Peyton, who is also known as Bella Lutner, left school like any other Friday. All three of them were in sixth grade at Waukesha Middle School in Waukesha, Wisconsin, which is a small city that kind of abuts Milwaukee to the west. As the school year was winding down and the days were getting longer, the three girls went roller skating that afternoon at a local rink, and then they gathered at Morgan's house for a sleepover to celebrate her 12th birthday that night. The next morning, they got up, they played with Silly Putty, they played on their iPads, they did some dress-up and sparkly costumes, and then the girls asked permission to go to a nearby park just to goof around and get outside. But what Peyton didn't know was that Anissa and Morgan had other plans, really heinous plans. For six months prior to that, they had been plotting to kill Peyton in cold blood. This plan took several different forms, and it's unclear why they chose that day of all the days to finally follow through with their unimaginable deed. But that morning when they left the house, Morgan had with her a five-inch knife that she had taken from her own kitchen. Anissa later said that Morgan took it, and Morgan said that Anissa did. Uh, Later, each of them would try to paint the other as the leader of the plan, but it seems clear that both were actively involved. 
Um, Anissa even admitted that they talked about their plan in public at times using, quote, code words. Like, for knife, we used cracker. For the killing, we would use words like itch, end quote. Ugh. Yeah, chilling, right? It's like they were planning a surprise party or something. I mean, just the way that they talked about it. So that morning, they head off on foot, and when they got to the park, Morgan and Anissa led Peyton into the bathroom at the park. They had the idea that they were going to knock her out uh, and kill her in one of the bathroom stalls, quote, because there was a drain, unquote, for the blood implied. So again, like planning out in this weird kind of detail, just like kind of detached from the enormity of what they're talking about in a weird way. Mm -hmm. When they couldn't seem to manage that, and I read some things that said they kind of they just they couldn't go through with it. I, I don't know why. They there was some mention of them trying to knock her head against something and knock her out because they had read that it would be easy it's easier to kill someone who's unconscious. But for whatever reason they couldn't kind of manage the bathroom plan. They decided to lure Peyton to the woods, ostensibly for a game of hide and seek, is what they had told her. But once they were in the woods, though, they activated one of their other planned scenarios and they had quite a few. And this scenario was to tackle her by surprise and then for one of them to stab her while the other one held her down. And that's exactly what happened. So Anissa was the one to tackle her and then held her down while Morgan stabbed her 19 times in the torso, legs, and arms. And later she was quoted from one of the interrogations, quote, stab, 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 stab. It was weird. I felt no remorse. I thought I would. I actually felt nothing, end quote. So, yeah, (laughs) very, very detached. Um, And again, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but doesn't seem to be any empathy there. After telling Peyton that they were going for help, Morgan and Anissa walked away with, you know, in their minds, they had no intention of getting aid for her, but that's what they told her. They wanted her to die. In fact, Anissa told Peyton to, quote, lay down and be quiet. You'll lose blood slower, end quote. So they wanted her to lay there and basically bleed to death. Peyton, though, she still had fight in her, and she dragged herself to a nearby road and flagged down a cyclist who called 911. Police were on the scene within minutes, and Peyton was still conscious to tell them exactly who had done this to her. Within a really short time, police had Morgan and Anissa in custody, Uh, separated into different rooms, and the lengthy interrogations began. If you want to never see a 12-year-old the same way ever again, go to our webpage and check out the episode notes, mostfoulpod.com. We link to some clips from these interrogations, and they're just bone-chilling watching two 12-year-old girls talk about this like they're talking about, you know, a pool party. At one point, when pressed on what happened, Morgan says, quote, I might as well just say it. We were trying to kill her, end quote. Then later she asked an investigator, quote, is she dead? I was just wondering, end quote. Yeah. So, I mean, just no sign of emotion. Thankfully, Peyton survived her injuries, but obviously this case was insanely well publicized because of the age of the perpetrators the senselessness of the crime, and the apparent lack of motive. And I say apparent because there was a motive, at least as far as the girls were concerned, there was. 
and you alluded to it, Morgan and Anissa both calmly explained during their separate interrogations that they wanted to kill Peyton to appease Slenderman, the fictional character that you were just talking about, Andrew. The girls claim that Slenderman lived in the woods dozens of miles north of, of Waukesha, and he was going to kill their families if they didn't make a human sacrifice for him. Their plan for after the murder was apparently to walk the 30 or 40 odd miles to the woods where Slenderman lived and tell him about the sacrifice. And it seems like they didn't really plan much after that because 12, they were 12. But they were in fact headed in the direction of the woods with some things in a backpack when police found them and arrested them. And it sounds like from what they said, they didn't imagine themselves coming home again, that they, I don't know if they thought Slenderman would kill them or what would happen, but, you know, I don't think they had planned it beyond that. Mm -hmm. Why they chose Peyton, I, I don't know. And I don't know that they ever said, I think it was probably just a matter of having her trust already as a friend and easy access to Peyton in vulnerable situations because of that trust. And as I said before, Morgan, who of the pair was Peyton's best friend, she considered her her best friend, she showed no remorse at all, neither immediately after the crime nor in the months and years afterward. Anissa, who was newer to the school and seemed closer to Morgan than Peyton, expressed some remorse but reiterated that the attack was necessary to, av to avoid a worse fate for her family. In the aftermath, Morgan was charged with attempted first-degree homicide, which is a Class A felony that automatically kicks things out of juvenile court. Mm -hmm. Anissa was charged with second-degree attempted homicide, probably because she wasn't the one holding the knife, and they both agreed on that. In Wisconsin, second-degree attempted homicide is a Class B felony, but because of the horrific nature of the crime, she was also waived out of the juvenile court uh, to be tried as an adult. So shortly after that, both were assessed by psychiatrists to determine if they were competent to stand trial. Around that time, Morgan was diagnosed with early onset schizophrenia, a condition her father also suffered from. In 2017, Anissa pleaded guilty to avoid a trial, and a jury found her not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. And she was given 25 years to life in Winnebago Mental Health Institute with a minimum of three years locked confinement with involuntary psychiatric treatment. So she avoided prison, but she was confined um, to mm -hmm. a mental institution. She was granted conditional release in September, actually, of this year after being deemed no longer a threat to society. And she will be under conditional release and followed by a case manager until she's 37. And she's now 19. So that's Anissa. Morgan, to avoid possible prison time, accepted a plea offer at the time. And she underwent evaluations to determine an appropriate confinement at a mental hospital. She too pleaded guilty and was also found not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. Morgan was given the maximum sentence, 40 years to life, an indeterminate sentence involving at least three years locked confinement. Again, the same as... Anissa, in addition to involuntary treatment in a state psychiatric institute, until complete resolution of symptoms or until age 53, whichever, whichever comes first. Mm -hmm. So for the last several years, Morgan's legal team has been appealing the case, stating that she was not competent to accept the plea offer and should never have been charged with a Class A felony in the first place, given her age. 
Uh, but in February of this year, the Wisconsin Supreme Court denied her petition to review the case. So as it stands now, she is still, I, I don't, she's not in Winnebago. I don't, they didn't put them in the same hospital, but she's in a, she's in a hospital receiving treatment. I did read though that in the, in the year after she was detained, she was refusing treatment and was not compliant with her treatment. So I haven't read much update on, I guess, her treatment or the status of her treatment since then. But I think authorities still feel like she could pose a threat. Um, yeah. You know, I think, though, it's important here to pause before I turn it back over to you for the culture side that, you know, we're talking about two kids here. One, certainly, who has diagnosed mental illness. The other, who you know, was suffering some some kind of, as the jury said, mental disease or defect. Mm-hmm. I think it's just important to note for the record that there's a myth that people with schizophrenia, people with um, severe mental illness are violent when the reality is that it's much more likely for people with mental illness to be the victims of violence rather than the perpetrators. So I just think that's important to add here. These two girls did turn out to be involved in a violent act. Um, This is uncommon and is certainly not something that is typical for people with schizophrenia. They are considered a vulnerable population themselves um, and are often victims of violent crime. Yeah, I'd say they're also the victims of media needing an easy scapegoat and like a scripted TV drama or scripted procedural. It's like, okay, well, schizophrenia... Mm-hmm. That's fine. That'll explain why they were murderers. Yeah. Sort of the same way with sociopathy, mm-hmm. where it's like, or not all sociopaths are murderers. Right. Right. But inversely, at least in this example, a lot of murders are sociopaths. Yeah. So, not saying the same for schizophrenia, but just like the easy TV drama. Like, oh, well, let's explain this to the public in a simple diagnosis. Right. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I think that a lot of it is just people don't understand it. And what they don't understand is scary. And I I myself, am, I'm not perfect. I sometimes get really loosey-goosey with the terminology. And part of that is because I've suffered, I have suffered from mental illness myself. And so I feel like as, as a member of that community or that group of people, I don't necessarily always have to hold myself to the same standards. And that's not true, especially not on a podcast where people are listening beyond just people I'm hanging out with. You know, I do feel like we have some responsibility to talk about it in a responsible way, even though occasionally I will throw around the word crazy. And crazy for me is like trying to reclaim it in the way that I think a lot of gay people have reclaimed queer is like, I want to own that and make it mine, but it doesn't always land right. And certainly not when people don't know you and like what's in your heart. Yeah. Well, and we talk about it in different ways too. Like when we, when we do an episode about a serial killer Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, well look at their tragic childhood. And for the most part, that's not uncommon. There are tons of victims of horrific even worse than these killers yeah childhood that did not grow up that way so it's not just a blanket for sure and I think you know you're going to talk about the culture side but I think on the flip side there's a lot of folks who say well urban legends and things like slender man make people do things and I I think it's just a confluence of of things you know I think their mental illness 
probably made them vulnerable mm-hmm. in certain situations. And it was just a combination of, of things that made them vulnerable to, I mean, taking a legend and turning it essentially into a delusion. Yeah. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcast. That really affects the algorithm and helps people find the show. Plus, if you write a review and give us five stars, we'll read it on the podcast. And who doesn't want that? So jumping into the culture, first I'll talk about Slenderman and the stabbing. And then I'll talk about just Slenderman. Mm-hmm. So a documentary film on the incident called Beware the Slenderman was released by HBO Films in March of 2016 and then was broadcast on HBO in January of 2017. Uh, Season 16 episode of Law & Order Special Victims Unit was entitled Glasgow Man's Wrath, Mm. and it's loosely based on the event. Yeah. There's a Criminal Minds episode. The Tall Man Mm -hmm. was inspired by the story. Uh, October of 2018, a movie was inspired by it called Terror in the Woods, which aired on Lifetime, and Christina Ricci was the executive producer. Interesting. Uh, In 2019, there was another movie inspired by the stabbing called Mercy Black, which was released on Netflix. It was directed by Owen Edgerton and produced primarily by Blumhouse Productions, and it tells the story of two girls with pre-schizophrenia who attempt to murder their friend, believing that a spirit named Mercy Black will offer them a gift in return. Mm. So that kind of covers movies, TV, which is a lot for something that happened so recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But also in 2016... American horror punk band Haunted Garage released an EP entitled Slenderman and Other Strange Tales. And it featured a song and music video based on the stabbing that's Mm. on our Spotify if you want to check it out. Um, A little bit of those lyrics. Mama's little baby don't like little ponies. Mama's little baby don't like rainbow bright. Gorging on a gory bowl of creepy pasta. Got to feed a growing little acolyte. Some viral fiction holds a strange allure. To messed up 12-year-olds, the line begins to blur. Slenderman is coming, creeping through the hollow. Face is white and follow. Slenderman is hovering, see him by the playground, giving some of the lowdown. I am the Slenderman. The internet, the internet was made for sinners. The internet, the internet should get the blame for setting up a place to share your horror stories, teasing you and leading to the dark domain. Let's down to the point you've got some blood to spill before the Slender Man evaluates the kill. Mm. So yeah. you can listen if you want. It's on the Spotify. It sounds awesome. Um, so, yeah, like we said, so much pop culture for something that happened in 2014. Yeah. And then even more when you consider just the Slender Man himself, itself. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> themselves it's not real yeah (laughs) um but yeah so slenderman's been all over the place so there was a web series marble hornets which ran from 2009 to 2014 that had its own 2015 film about slenderman um there's the video game slender the eight pages and slender the arrival and 
it inspired the Enderman and the mega popular game Minecraft. Mm. So for reference, Minecraft has sold 200 million copies and boasts 140 million monthly active players in 2021. Oh my God. So huge. <laughs> um, it's been featured in the TV shows Lost Girl, My Little Pony, <laughs> Supernatural, Big Mouth, and Community. Slenderman had his own feature film in 2018, and even though reviews were mixed, it made over $50 million. But, of course, there's criticism. Um, Anissa's father told the Associated Press that he hoped local theaters wouldn't show the film. He said, quote, It's absurd they want to make a movie like this. It's popularizing a tragedy is what it's doing. I'm not surprised, but in my opinion, it's extremely distasteful. All we're doing is extending the pain all three of these families have gone through. So this is probably insensitive. So Mm -hmm. adding another preface, like, I can understand why he feels this way. But it's also kind of like satanic panic. Mm. Slenderman did not make these girls do this. Yeah. It's a... It's sort of a scapegoat. Mm. So, and this movie wasn't about the stabbing. It was a movie about the concept of Slender Man. Right, right. And so it's like, I absolutely understand why he would never want to see this movie, why he would not like it. And I'm sure it was annoying that reporters asked him about it. Mm-hmm. But like, blaming Slender Man feels like an easy scapegoat instead of addressing the complexity of mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... I'm not the only one who feels this way. I don't think it's fair, says UC Berkeley grad and Utah State folklore professor Lynn McNeil in a super great article in California Magazine by Chrissy Elliott. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pull a lot from that article. It's going to be in the episode notes. So for sure, check it out. It's way longer than what I'm including. Mm-hmm. So McNeil, who co-edited the recent book of essays titled Slender Man is Coming, went on to say, quote, I think it was an unfortunate timing situation where Slenderman has been around for five years before the stabbing happened, kind of living his own life as a great legendary character, scaring the pants off of a lot of us, which is great. Slenderman's story is much more nuanced than, oh, Slenderman is a scourge upon society who made two girls stab a third. It's a vast oversimplification, mm-hmm. end quote. So yeah. because... A lot of people first heard of Slenderman in the context of the stabbing. Mm-hmm. It's like metaphorically and irreversibly changed what Slenderman is. Mm-hmm. And that's something McNeil asserts in the book. Um, and she also says it may not have happened if he had been more famous. So it was also revealed that one of the girls, I don't know which one, also said that they talked to Lord Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was Morgan. And Peyton, interesting, interestingly. So Peyton was part of this fantasy world, too, in, cer- in a certain way. Yeah, so they, they revealed they also had conversations with Lord Voldemort. But his name, Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, were not in every headline. Mm-hmm. Similarly, the gunman in Colorado who claimed to be the Joker, he killed 12 people, injured almost 60 And the public didn't blame Batman. They didn't blame comic books. And so it's like this weird moment where 
the legend, the story of Slenderman was getting a lot of this blame instead of actually looking at what happened. Mm -hmm. So this is one last quote from her. I think it would be like if someone murdered a person in the name of Bigfoot. We know way too much about Bigfoot to think Bigfoot caused that. We would attribute that to the individual motivations of a person latching onto a legend inappropriately and for inappropriate ends, but we wouldn't blame the legend. Mm -hmm. So, you know, simplifying it down, it may not be that Slenderman influenced the girls, but in reality, the girls have influenced Slenderman. A character whose own narrative is written by users like them. Mm-hmm. So love it or hate it, Slenderman is forever changed by the crime and is going to continue to be a part of pop culture and whatever that means for the future. Yeah. So it reminded me of Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, the multiple crimes, murders, attempted murders, where people were like, I watched that movie and I was influenced by it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that can be true without Congress saying these movies, these stories cause it to happen. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's I think it's undeniable that pop culture, cultural artifacts, art, all of those things can resonate deeply with us depending on our circumstances, the moment in time, because I think all of us have experienced that, right? Is like, why does this one song speak to me in this deep, deep way and move me? Because the lyrics and the time in my life or whatever, you know, whatever the the constellation of things. But I think it's that outlier experience of it resonates so deeply in a way and and something inside of you that was probably waiting to happen was just flipped on by this combination of things, you know, but it doesn't cause it, meaning you and I could like get really into Slender Man and we could talk all about it and we could be goofy and whatever, whatever, and like spook each other out with it. But we're not going to then go on and kill someone because that is not inside of us to be waiting to be activated by this combination of things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So really fascinating stuff. It's so fascinating. And I think, I mean, we've got a bit of a theme going now with crimes committed by children. And I think those are inherently really fascinating because they're so much more incomprehensible. You know, and one of the investigators I was reading in one of these articles, I think summed up really perfectly. She said, you don't see this level of absence of empathy very often in adults. And to see it in children, it's just so aberrant that, I mean, it's hard to fathom, really. And so mm-hmm. I think that component of it, too, because, I mean, we talked a little bit about the Zodiac and, and that mystery of it. And I think there's inherent mystery in when kids do things like this. Like, why? What is behind that? It's so hard to comprehend that I think it just makes it fascinating. Totally. Well, and we... We stumbled into Slender Man because of last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of similar threads between the heavenly creatures, mm-hmm. um, the, the actual case. Like, they're, they're not related in any way other than two young girls, fantasy world, and a stabbing. Like, they're so similar to be so completely dissimilar. Yeah. 
like this shared delusion. And I do think we talked a little bit about, you know, teenage girls in this time of development. And I, I say girls only because I, you know, I don't know what it is to be a teenage boy, but teenage girls in this time in development, so much is changing. And I mean, I do think it ties into kind of the feminist theme that we've had for a while too, of all these pressures of the world. I think the, the teenage years are so, it's like a crucible because you're starting to learn about the expectations of the world, the expectations that the world has for you that are Mm -hmm. really fucked up in a lot of ways. And I think that like goes into all the normal developmental, like puberty stuff that's happening. And it's just, it's this interesting time when, I think things can be possible that wouldn't be possible at other times because of developmental stuff. And yeah, but I I think those friendships that girls have at that time are very intense. And I can see, you know, I can see a shared delusion kind of springing up. And then if you've got some mental illness thrown in the mix and maybe the parents aren't not, I'm not implying that their parents weren't good parents, any of them. I have no reason to think that. But, you know, maybe they just weren't as educated about mental illness or mental health or, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you just you got to keep your eye on the ball all the time. And, and it's hard having kids and maybe they, you know, lost sight of what was going on. I don't know. But I, I can see it happening as as horrific and unimaginable as it is. Having been a teenage girl, I can see something like that happening. And I, I think it's true of boys, too. And I think that's why there are so many kind of really like menacing type of books that take place like Lord of the Flies or Mm -hmm. a separate piece, you know, like those kinds of where kids are up to some murky shit during that time. Yeah. But on a positive path, Peyton is alive and well. Her scars are healing and she's pursuing a career in the medical field to help other people after what happened to her. Yeah. And talk about badass. I mean, she kind of is the definition of a badass. She saved herself. I mean, she crawled out of the woods to the road after being stabbed 19 times. Mm-hmm. And then I read that she was in the hospital for about seven days, and then she went back to school. Can you imagine going back to middle school after something like that? Oh, my gosh. No. I mean, I, junior high, it was like if I got a bad haircut, I had trouble making myself go to school. Like, I mean, so... She is, she's the real deal, like badass hardcore. Yeah. And as always, we appreciate the hell out of you. Absolutely. Never miss a foul detail. Follow us at Most Foul Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Facts from Janet production.